Yes. We both we both had microphones on mute. Gotcha. That, that doesn't help in a podcast, does it? No, it doesn't. <laughs> Today on the Women Mind the Water podcast, I'm speaking with Chris Ann Baker, an ecological artist and art educator. She identifies her mission as cultivating environmental consciousness about issues related to the water. The Women Mind the Water podcast engages artists in conversation about their work and explores her connection with the ocean. Through these stories, Women Mind the Water hopes to inspire and encourage action to protect the ocean and her creatures. Our guest today is Chrisanne Baker. Chrisanne is both an ecological artist and an art educator. During the school year, Chrisanne teaches art to high school students. Her personal concern focuses on unsustainable practices and their impacts on water. As an artist, Chrisanne creates work that merges science and art. For example, one of her installations put drinking water samples on display. Chrisanne enclosed locally sourced water samples in large clear containers and invited viewers to get a close-up look at their drinking water. Welcome, Chrisanne. Thank you for joining me on the Women Mind the Water podcast. I am looking forward to hearing about your efforts to call attention to sustainability and water using art. Let's begin by discussing what motivated you to get an MFA in ecological arts. Maybe you could begin by defining ecological arts. Yes, I will. Thank you, first of all, for having me, Pam. I'm honored to be here today. Um, The ecological art network that I've been part of for the past 12 years is an international group, and I, I... I want to read you the specific uh, beginning of the definition of ecological arts because there's been so much debate on what's the difference between ecological art and environmental art. Um, So specifically, ecological art is an art genre and an artistic practice that seeks to preserve, mediate, and or vitalize the life forms and ecology of Earth. And the difference, I think, mainly between ecological art and environmental art is that ecological art is functional and is a systems-based intervention. Um, And a a major goal with most of the ecological artists is some type of systems remediation. Um, Yeah. Thank you for that explanation. So what motivated you to become an ecological artist? Well, um, I've always been drawn to water. Uh, I was taught to swim um, as a teeny tiny with my eyes open underwater, My thanks to my father. Um, I've always known that there's a whole nother, because of that, I've always known that there's this whole other world below the surface um, that is just, filled me personally with wonder and I've always been conscious of it um so I grew up spending a tremendous amount of time on the water in a sailboat um because my father was a sailing fanatic and as a child being on a boat with not a whole heck of a lot to do um I spent a lot of time studying the water and the sky and the wind and um it was really most formative for me 
and um, gave me a huge amount of time to contemplate my surroundings. Um, and specifically in my family, we were not allowed to be bored children. <laughs> Just, <laughs> no, <laughs> you, don't, you don't go there. You entertain yourself. Um, so yeah, I just, I spent a lot of time looking at the water. Um, I started painting, doing plein air before I even knew what plein air was, um, painting on the boat as a child. Um, and I, I found that when I wasn't near the water that I craved it. So I, um, as I proceeded through my life, I've made a point of making sure to be close to it. Because there were a few times um, in my early 20s when I could not be near the ocean. And I found myself growing depressed. And, um, and the minute I got back to the ocean, I just found that I just felt whole again. So, so Chris, Ann, you're telling me what drives you mm -hmm. um, to be, you know, interested and interact with water but why not simply paint pretty pictures of water it might be more lucrative well that's a great question <laughs> <laughs> and i actually did start out that way um water has always been a source of calming for me and meditation and so i spent a lot of hours on the boat um or near the water just staring at the patterns of the water and found them to be infinitely calming to me. Um, and I did start off as an artist creating images of water, um, the surfaces of water. But I found that that observation led me to, back to my swimming roots of being under the water and wanting to understand and learn more about what's going on below the surface. And so um, the, just that curiosity and being able to um, incorporate the, the, the science, if you will, um, and science that I learned um, through classes. Also, my mother was a scientist, and that was extremely formative for me. Um, and so you could say that I still paint pretty pictures here and there, um, but they're underwater scenes of endangered ocean creatures. You brought up the science. So you had the opportunity to do a residency at Bigelow Lab mm -hmm. uh, for ocean scientists in East Booth Bay, Maine. How is it that a science-based institution offers an artist residency and how did the scientists at the Institute react to your artistic creations? Mm. Okay, to, to answer your first question, um, it, was, it was a difficult process for me to get the artist in residency at Bigelow. It wasn't something that they advertised. Um, but I had seen an article in one of the main newspapers about some artwork that had been done in relationship to um, Bigelow. It's not that far from where I live. It's about 45 minutes away. And um, I, I, just, I just kept pursuing it. And I kept, uh, every time I had a show that all my shows have to do about water, and specifically those shows had to do about 
uh, our relationship to ocean and about phytoplankton, I kept sending them invitations. I kept sending them. Uh, I I received a a really lovely solo show in this very tiny gallery in my very tiny hometown on the coast here in Maine, and uh, it it got um, statewide recognition in the newspapers and and I sent that to them and. And they and I just kept contacting them and contacting them um, because another artist had told me that no doesn't mean no. <laughs> <laughs> and in it, as an artist, you can't let no mean no or you stop or you give up um, and you just you just keep on. But I was taught as a child no meant no, um, so it was a really difficult struggle to to be able to do that but um, I kept on and I found that once I did get the residency at Bigelow um, it wasn't until after I started putting the work up about eight months after I began the residency I started putting the work up um, with the help of um, another fellow who who was in charge of facilities and almost everybody who worked there that went through the atrium was stopping and they were ooing and aahing and and they were just so you know they were like trying to identify the different phytoplankton that they could see and oh that looks like a such and such and oh that's a coscinodiscus no 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 that's a <laughs> it was it was great hearing them comment and they were asking me questions and it it was just such a really um, rewarding and confirming um, reaction to that's to, a nice counterplay that the scientists teach taught you and you taught them to have new eyes right yeah, yeah. It, it was it was fantastic it was really a great reaction great so can you tell me a story about one of your installations uh, describe the thought process and picking the subject and deciding how to deliver the related message and for those who are listening to an audio-only version of the podcast, can you describe the installation so they can visualize it? Sure. Um, well, I'll tell you a bit more about the Bigelow installation, for instance. Um, it actually maybe you can be maybe you can begin by telling our, our listeners what phytoplankton is. Okay. So um, phytoplankton, as I learned in the this formative experience that I had about a dozen years ago. I was on a, um, a residency learning glass blowing at um, Haystack Mountain School of Art up in Deer Isle. And it was August and it was hot like it is today <laughs> as we're talking. And um, we were just wanting to get in the water but I hadn't swum at night in the water since I was a teenager because of Jaws. If you've ever seen the movie you know what I'm talking about. So I went swimming with these this group of people and um, the first person who got in the, just the, the water lit up electric blue with like every single movement that the person made and when I got in the water I, I swim with my eyes open underwater and so I just, you know, every single movement just felt like I was Tinkerbell and Jacques Cousteau combined. It was just, it was, it was just a moment of absolute wonder. And I wanted to know more about 
um, these phytoplankton. And so I started researching um, from other science that was posted on the internet. Thank, thankfully, the internet was in existence at that point. And I found that not tr not just trees, as I was taught, but phytoplankton are responsible for 50 to 70% of the oxygen that we breathe on a daily basis, no matter where you live on the planet. And that they also were responsible for forming the atmosphere, the livable atmosphere on the planet, so that evolution could continue to take place. And so, uh, but they're microscopic, and it's, it's the invisible. So we don't know about the invisible. We don't know that we don't know. And so I decided to just make phytoplankton my focus and bringing this invisible thing to visibility. And so I started looking at phytoplankton and drawing and making sculptures of it that were a thousand times larger than what they actually are in reality so that people could see them and and be drawn in by their beauty and go what is this and why is this you know this little gem so beautiful and what what you know and want to know more about it and and then i have the opportunity to bring in the education which um, seems to be the major focus of both my personal work and my teaching career so i've had the wonderful experience of kayaking in phosphorescent phytoplankton and it really is miraculous you paddle hits the water and it's like lightning it is. Um, how did you in your installation create that I mean you said you learned glass blowing uh, how did you have your glass many times bigger than the phytoplankton let's try that again the phytoplankton express that phosphorescence okay so um the residency that i had began with me working with the lead scientist who's the director of the national marine center for microbiota and and algae and i had access to hundreds of live samples of phytoplankton from all over the world and I started with samples that were indigenous to Maine waters that I was familiar with. Um, and I started by just looking through a microscope and drawing them day after day after day to get familiar with their forms. And I know that certain phytoplankton were ones that emitted the phosphorescence. And so I started focusing on those and I also found through research that I could use, utilize a phosphorescent powder that was um, non-radioactive, because a lot of people immediately, oh, that's radioactive. There's a non-radioactive phosphorescent powder that you can use that um, people seem to be using a lot now for uh, different things for day glow or whatever, but it is... It's just activated by natural sunlight. It's not anything that you have to view under uh, black light or whatever, but um, is activated by natural sunlight. And I learned with experimentation how to add that to some of my oil painting pigments. And then I started playing around with the uh, glass pipettes that um, Bigelow 
um, very generously gave to me that I was able to use in my sculptures and some of the test tubes and I coated them with glue and then poured in this phosphorescent powder so that um, if you viewed it at night these little sculptures of phytoplankton would actually be glowing the same way that they would be glowing in the water. So what are you working on these days? I'm, a, I'm about to go to a residency at Shoals Marine Laboratory out on Appledore Island off of Portsmouth and I'll be teaching a couple of classes with scientists and teaching them some tricks that I know about observing things in nature and how to draw things in nature that are moving um, so that they can complete their their science journals um, to I'd say a more intriguing degree than just photographing something because when you observe something in real life and have to record it yourself you're much more keen on observing the details um, so I'm really excited about that um, and then I'm, I'm working on a um, specifically on a new large installation of um, endangered coral reefs that are in peril, and uh, I'd like to do that in glass, like I did the the Bigelow installation, but I have a really small studio, so I have to find a home for it first, really, before I can jump into production for that. All right. Well, thank you for sharing that. So what advice can you offer listeners who want to express their concern for the ocean and encourage others to take action to protect the ocean and her creatures? Well, um, there's so many things that, that people can do, people that are concerned can do. Um, the whole climate change problem is so enormous that it, it can be overwhelming. But when I work with my students at the high school, um, I tell them to start with one thing. Um, and that I um, definitely took from the movie Racing Extinction that I show them. And they learn that by using less energy and living more lightly upon the earth, um, that we can lower our carbon emissions. Okay. Well, it's been great to talk to you and hear your philosophy on art, science, and sustainability. I'd like to remind our listeners that I have been speaking with Chris Ann Baker for the Women Mind the Water series. The series can be viewed on womenmindthewater.com. An audio-only version of this podcast is available on the Women Mind the Water website, on iTunes, and Spotify. Women Mind the Water is grateful to Jane Rice for the song Women of Water. All rights for the Women Mind the Water name and logo belong to Pam Ferris Olson. This is Pam Paris Olson.